Hey folks, Mark Guzan here, and starting off on one of our next, su our, our subject here uh, for this moment is communicating with passion your cause in a time of crisis when, let's be honest, a lot of people aren't always necessarily thinking about donating, uh, supporting, getting involved with your, uh, with your organization or your mission as well. So I'm joined here by Dr. William Clark, author of a number of books. He's a fundraiser himself. He's well experienced in the whole aspects of not-for-profits and fundraising and, and the like. Well, I'll ask you just directly out there. I mean, how do you communicate your message or your calls for action without coming off as an insensitive jerk? Yeah, so, you know, that, that's an amazing question, and we're grappling with that on a regular basis. For us, what we've had to recognize within our nonprofit is that business is still continuing to move forward, albeit in a virtual environment, things are still progressing forward. And we're also noticing that a lot of folks that we would typically serve or people who would be looking into our programs this time of year, they're figuring out new normals in their lives. They're figuring out how to move forward. And so we have embraced the idea of acknowledging some of the pain points that have been caused by this virus, right? Some people have lost family members. My family's lost some. Some people have lost jobs. Some people's economic status has changed. Some people uh, have family members who are on the front line and they're trying to navigate this new normal. So instead of hiding from what people are experiencing, what we found to be really helpful is that we acknowledge what people are going through and we talk about how to help them pivot from their pain point to programs that we offer. So if you're someone who's lost a job in the state of Connecticut and you're struggling to pivot to find that next opportunity, even in this economy, we help people identify that pain point, you know, job loss, economic change. We talk about ways they can pivot and we offer opportunities. So over the past two weeks, Mark, um, as a matter of fact, I personally hosted two virtual job fairs in two different cities uh, here in the state of Connecticut. And because, you know, those cities kind of cover large territory, we've been able to talk to employers and people who are hiring to say, hey, these are bleeding edge opportunities that exist right now. The number of employers we talk to, Mark, in, in our virtual job fairs to say, we're growing so fast, we can't even keep up with the business and we're desperate for people. So that pain point of job loss, that pain point of losing economic status, we're trying to say, hey, we hear you, we understand you, but the compassion is we have a solution to help you. So how about you log on to the job fair? How about you register for one of our programs and we'll get you connected to the resources that can help solve that pain point. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, then let me throw it out to you there. I can see, you know, the, the comments I've had, and I, I, you probably have ch chatted with your share of executive directors, board members, people who are really passionate about a given cause. And the comments, it says, you know, my nonprofit isn't isn't about healthcare, or it's not about jobs, or like this. It's about I don't know animal shelter or whatever like this. How do you communicate that kind of and still still operate and and do those good that do that good work that you're doing in an environment when understandably I, I mean people's attentions are drawn to something else. Yeah, I mean, but I I think you're you're still hitting it on the head, right? It still comes down to the pain point. Of your community and a pain point of your customers so you know i'm in the workforce development world right and obviously that that has some direct connection to what people are going through with millions of people applying for unemployment benefits around the country what i do what nonprofits like me do matters it makes sense but let's say you're into a nonprofit that serves puppies or helps puppies or whatever the case may be it still comes back to the pain point of your customer 
if your customer has been impacted by this virus or family members of your customer has been impacted by this virus, your nonprofit still has an ancillary value that can be offered to this customer. Perhaps the owner of the puppy passed away. Perhaps the owner is sick and cannot take care of the puppy. Perhaps the owner is taking care of other loved ones and had to leave the puppy behind because the loved one they're taking care of is allergic, mm -hmm. right? Your nonprofit may have enough opportunity in this space to say, hey, we can still help. But the key to it all, regardless of what your nonprofit is, what it does, what its core mission is, it comes down to identifying the pain point of the people you're trying to serve and letting them know, hey, I acknowledge what you're going through. I hear what you're going through. I believe I can help answer some of the questions of what you're going through and can help you navigate to the next phase. No, well said, well said indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, one of the other problems and challenges that inevitably people are coming across in this time is, you know, with such uncertainty, um, you know, organizations for a variety of reasons, they're trying to, they have to grow. They still have to keep on and offering all those services and sometimes even more services, increasing their service levels going out. But the, 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 either the means to fund that are, are constrained, maybe they're even put, they're pulled back to a certain degree which can also have a bit of an ancillary negative effect of putting some doubt perhaps into your stakeholders, people who fund you, uh, other kinds of things. Think, think from now from a perspective like that, you're going through this crisis management situation as an executive director or whoever, or a board member. Um, when, what would you suggest to them as, to, as, as a measure of, uh, to, of reaching out to these stakeholders to giving them some reassurance of how you're going to manage it? How, how would you communicate that? Yeah, so I mean that that's a, an important question, and and I've wrestled with that over the past sixty days or so. I think before you even reach out to a funder at this stage, you need to do an assessment of what's been done over the past sixty days. Now we've been in this crisis mode for quite a while, but most businesses didn't change or uh, pivot until mid March, and we were one of those. And so what I did recently, um, probably several weeks back, with my staff was do an assessment of the first thirty days. What did we learn from our transition, both from a business standpoint, from a customer standpoint? How did we pivot? What did we offer to our customers? What did we offer programmatically? How successful was it? Did we stink? Did we succeed? What are customers saying? And let's write up an article about it so that others can see what we're doing and for us so we can learn from it, right? We want to learn from our, our experiences so we can get better because the truth is this whole COVID experience has changed our nonprofit industry forever. We've been slow to transition technologically. We've been slow to transition how we operate programs, and now we have been forced to do so. And given the projections of how this virus may linger for some time, this stuff is not changing anytime soon. So it's a good thing to do an assessment of what you've done over the first 30, 60 days of this transition to talk about what you've learned, how you pivoted, how fast you pivoted, what you're working on, how you can get better. And it's at that point, once you do an assessment, you can reach out to your funders and articulate a message of hope, right? Hope doesn't come from what you expect to achieve. 
Hope comes from what we know we've accomplished and how we're mixing in an updated vision for what we can do with what we know we can do now. So my staff prior to Corona, we, we were all outfitted with iPad Pros. We were just mobile because of how we were geographically placed around our state. And we needed iPad Pros to be most effective in our various locations. We were utilizing Zoom a whole lot way before Corona hit. So when Corona hit, we went into overdrive mode with our existing tools and figured out how to use them even better for the programs we offer. Now we can speak with confidence, not about what we believe we can do. We can tell our customers, our funders rather, and our sponsors and people who support us that, listen, if you're still wondering what we're doing programmatically, let's, let's, ex let's, sh let's share the story about what we've done and what we have experienced and what we know is happening right now. Here are real results what's happening with our staff because we have iPad Pros, what's happening because our clients are connected to Zoom, how we're leveraging all the elements of Zoom, how we are leveraging all elements of technology, and how our customers have responded. That was the biggest concern. We didn't know how they were going to respond. Yeah. Lo and behold, our customers have responded extremely well to technology in ways that we were not prepared for. So now this is an exciting moment to say we were wrong, right? We raised our hand saying, hey, all the assumptions we made as an industry, we're completely wrong. We've learned some new things about our customers, and we're moving forward with light speed. And here are some other opportunities we think we can get better at. But this outreach to your funder, it, it won't help. It doesn't make sense unless you have a proven track record over the past 30, 60 days. Now, if you're a nonprofit that has still, that's still struggling to transition, you don't have work-from-home technology, your people don't have laptops or, or pro tablets, uh, they're not connected at all to your server, or you don't have a cloud system, you got to get that in place. You have to have a, a track record so your funders can say to you or ask you, hey, so how are your people staying connected? If you don't have a good answer, then what they're going to look at, unfortunately, is how bad of an investment it is to spend our money with you. Even though most funders don't spend money on technology and we know in our industry we need it, you have to figure out how to make this investment. You have to figure out how to get your people connected and then begin to perform. At least get 30, maybe 45, preferably 60 days of performance during this corona season to show that you can survive and thrive and pivot to the next phase of what online work is going to look like for our nonprofit industry. Wow, that's really wonderful. You know, I, I love what you said, William, about the whole aspect of hope. And that's really what we're hoping from, from this, this the, the purpose of this, this whole, you know, summit is a message of hope. Hope comes from, not from what you're like right there, but from a track record that you've built up in that guess. And that's what really what people get on that there. So beautifully said, beautifully said. The other thing that I think is really interesting, which you've, you've kind of led, it's a fantastic segue, in, in, I guess, into, into the next question is a few of those aspects of what's really critical here is is communicating and being proactive on this and and you and i would share we shared i think recently it was a wonderful video done by the afp the association of fundraising professionals and it recommends in these tr troubling times three concepts and the first one is and i'd love for your thoughts on this is is active listening with donors and colleagues etc um, that is so important at this point in time. Tell me a little bit about that and your thoughts. Yeah, I think active listening with our donors matters, right? But here's, you know, what we're seeing is that our donors are saying, hey, we want to listen to you. You're the experts. You know what's going on in the front line. You've been doing this for a while. Tell us what you think. Yeah. And this is a wonderful opportunity. And I can't stress, Mark, how wonderful this opportunity is 
to show your expertise. If you've been dying for an opportunity to have your funder listen to you instead of you listening to them because they hold the purse strings, you got to take this opportunity. But, but listen, you know, it goes back to what I said before. If you have nothing to offer, if you have no track record, if you haven't been working towards navigating this new virtual environment, there's nothing to listen to. And as things become normalized, a new normal starts to uh, set in, funders will no longer listen to you because they're going to be listening to people who navigated this crisis well. Yeah. I had a colleague who told me that you're going to find out who your true leaders are in the middle of this crisis. And these leaders are going to be the ones that are going to survive and thrive as the crisis starts to avert itself. So this is an opportunity. Yeah. You know, talk to the funders and, and speak, but please speak from a place of experience so that they know they can trust what you're saying. Yeah. Wonderful said. So the next concept that, really was, that was really brought up in that video was the whole concept of moves management. So explaining the process really about moving a donor from cultivation to solicitation. Now, that's generally the, the whole kind of thing in, in the fundraising world about how, how you, you know, your process is like this. Um, I, I would maintain that there's still a certain degree of importance of you still checking in with that, that process uh, as well. And having personally identified, uh, you know, a, a lot about where, where people are, I sort of, the, I guess that sort of fits in with exactly what you're talking about, that, that active dialogue as well, right? Yeah, man. And, and I, love, I love the framing of that language, move management, right? Uh, because we're constantly pre-corona, during corona, post-corona, we're constantly yeah. working on how do we transition uh, a person who wants to support us or we think we want them to support us to actually having them invest the money in us. And, and I think historically, when you look at what it takes to have that transition take place, you always have had to prove your case, right? Yeah. Whether it's you acting as a sub on a contract, whether it's you given a chance to do a grant on your own or you're given a much smaller grant, you have been called upon to prove your case. Why are you worth the investment? Yeah. This is literally, Mark, no different, right? This is a strange moment in history where every nonprofit, every faith-based institution, every company, every individual, rich, black, rich, poor, white, black, uh, male, female, we are all on the same page. You're in Canada. I'm in the U.S. Yeah. We're on the same page no matter where you are, what you look like, what you're going through. Coronavirus doesn't and care. <laughs> it doesn't care, man. It has no discriminatory elements to it, right? Yeah. And this is the time where we're all trying to prove our value. The richest people in the world are trying to prove their value, even again, to the masses. Entertainers who have entertained us for years are trying to prove their value, again, to us consumers. I was on a call yesterday watching a bunch of pastors, senior pastors of mega churches, talk about how they have to pivot and how they feel like they are at a disadvantage because of the size of their churches. Because now they got to figure out how to prove the value of their ministries to the masses who have trusted them for years. And so this is an interesting time to figure out how we can move sponsors, supporters, investors, believers into actual givers and donors within our institutions. But I, I keep coming back to this, Mark. You got to prove it. You got to prove it. You got to show that you can handle it. You got to show that your, your hypothesis and your strategies are working and that your teams and your customers are thriving in the midst of this transition. Uh, well said, well said. And, but the final point, the final point of that, that video, and, and, and we will try to make it uh, available later uh, to, uh, to, to the registrants and, and guests of this, this summit, is this video referencing uh, that you, you and I were, were referring to from AFB is, above all, and it speaks to what you're saying, don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Do not 
transfer what you're going through and necessarily what someone else is of somebody else is going through. Maybe you can make a comment to that effect. I don't know where to start. I don't know <laughs> how to end. Assumptions hurts us all personally and professionally. I'll give a professional example. We started this transition. We assumed we as an industry and my organization included assumed our customers would have a hard time connecting online. Come to find out we were, we were so wrong that we were excited to be wrong. Our customers figured out how to get online. They figured out how to be resourceful. We had, um, I can't remember if we were talking to a board member or just a colleague in another organization when, I think it was a board member, and this board member mentioned that we got to remember that the, the, the clientele we're serving, they are a, um, a generation that grew up with technology with phones in their hands, yeah. with internet in their hands, and they are helping their parents who were on the fringe of that. And there have been the grandparents who were before that time. And we will be surprised, and we have been surprised, how wrong our assumptions were about people connecting. People are much more flexible than we give them credit for. Now, there are some things that my parents are doing that still they rather do in person, but there are a lot of things they're doing virtually with much more ease than yeah. they would have two, what, two months ago now. And so assumptions do not help. I think it's safe, Mark, let's be honest, to go into a new venture, a transition such as the one our industry is going through with some assumptions, but go into it believing either I'm going to be proven wrong or I'm going to be affirmed. Either way, I want to be flexible to respond to whatever my assumptions prove out to be right or wrong. Well said, well said, well said. I don't know, another question I'm kind of concerned for you is, is, is that we, we've, I've spoken on this, you've stressed this in, in your podcast and what I've seen from you, uh, William, is, is, is this whole aspect of what a lot of funders, uh, what we call, I, I like to call funders pet projects, or what they like to go after particular things and that's what they're going to fund. And I know that uh, if, you're, if you're out there, you're listening to this as an, an association or a nonprofit executive, you're probably rolling your eyes, you know what they are because you know, funders want to fund little things like this but rather than the big things that are actually going to make things possible. But I would imagine there's a certain element in a time like this where that's even more acutely aware uh, or present on, on, on times. Everybody, the pet project is going to want to, you know, fund, uh, you know, initiative to get masks out, to feed, uh, to, to feed, to, to feed people uh, as well in, in, in difficult times. And as important as that is, there's always going to be, and I probably even more nowadays, challenges in and around capital and operations campaigns. I mean, what do you advise to people if they, for example, they've already gotten, um, they've already gone down something like say, or I, I hear this, I've seen this a number of examples. Is, you know, Mark, we had planned for April or May, this major campaign blow, uh, campaign for our, our capital campaign. And here we are, crap we can't do we can't do it like what this is really this is put a talk about throwing a monkey wrench into your plans because you have really do run the risk of going off or, or at least the concern is maybe that addresses the the assumption problem you're talking about of being tone deaf i mean can <laughs> you can you still be communicate that there with compassion and and address these big these, these big issues I, I, i'll leave that to you what, what do you think 
Short answer is yes. So there are three immediate strategies that come to my mind. Uh, first strategy is you got to remember this virus took over our our continent, our shared continent, um, early March, mid-March. And that means programmatically a lot of nonprofits have had to shift uh, ex, um, programmatic um, operations to a virtual experience, which also means that budgets have not been spent according to plan over the past 60 days. Mm. You will be surprised if you reach out to your existing portfolio funders and ask them, hey, I'm short in my spending in the following categories. How would you feel about us doing a community project with a portion of those unspent funds to provide masks or meals or transportation or other frontline needs? You'll be surprised what your funder will say. And as you said in your previous question, assumptions, uh, they don't help. Secondly, second strategy, if you are good at fundraising, if you're good at friend raising, you will be surprised how many of your friends, how many of your colleagues will give to a special cause because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. They don't know the first place to go, but they do know that you are engaged in the community. They know that you work at a nonprofit. They know that you serve people or communities that they care deeply about. Talk to your friends. Reach out to them personally. Let them know what's going on. I, I rarely ask my family and friends to give, but I had a special project, as we were talking about, giving away masks. Yeah. And I reached out to my family and friends. My mom, who was the inspiration for me asking, honestly, she made me a bunch of masks for me and my family. She sent me a second batch to contribute. My aunt sent me a second batch of masks. I have family and friends give my church resources so that we can buy other masks. And we did, man. And it just, it blew me away. The third strategy, and I'm going to invite people to go to your social media pages, Mark, is to learn how to engage other businesses to sponsor what you're doing. Yeah. While, yes, businesses are closing down, jobs are shifting. I can tell you yesterday for Mother's Day, Cheesecake Factory was a zoo. I mean, a flat out zoo. I've been eating at restaurants or taking out rather over the past handful of weeks. And I, I can't speak for the business model, but it seems to be doing pretty well. And there are other businesses that are operating. I did two virtual job fairs the past couple of weeks. You will be surprised how many businesses would love, love, love to be your virtual sponsor to let people know we're open for business. We care about our community and we want to see people thrive. Sponsorships. So if you want to learn more about that, the gurus on the line, Mark, <laughs> go to his page. But those are three strategies that come to my mind, Mark. Yeah. It, it can happen. So that, that's such a great point then. So tell me then, from your perspective, uh, what, can you, what can you do or suggest to people where they're faced, about, you know, they're faced away from, they, they can't meet with people. I mean, one of the things that's the, the classic things we're taught in fundraising and de development is that the importance particularly of making the big asks of face-to-face -face meetings of that, mm. building that relationship. Can't do that Man, so much anymore. What, what do you, you do? Can't, you can't do that so much, but there are other ways, right? So yeah. I had a chance to visit your website for your conference and I, and I will talk about this offline, but you utilize in a company called ClickFunnels and um, you know, I'm not here to sell them. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a paid spokesman. I will just say I am a believer of Russell. And that's all I'm going to say, do your own research. But with that being said, Russell uh, religiously talks about the effectiveness of good sales copy. And I have learned from Russell and his team 
um, how to love it too, because a fundraising letter is nothing but a good sales copy letter. Uh, your social media posts are nothing but good sales copy. So all of that can be an introduction to a funder telling your story, how you've pivoted, where you think you're going, and how they can possibly become uh, come alongside you in that journey. Secondly, Zoom is, is the way to go. FaceTime is the way to go. Virtual meetings is the way to go. Whereas I would typically schedule a coffee meeting with someone, I still do that. We do virtual coffees, right? We yeah. do virtual meetups. It, you just have to learn how to pivot, Mark, you know, and I think the health and safety of everyone has to take precedent. And so with that being said, we're going to utilize the available tools. All is not lost. I've told, I was just on the phone with a, a funder, not a funder, but a board member, and I was describing just how our program has uh, pivoted. And I told this board member, listen, you'll be surprised how much things are pretty much the same online. Our staff, they behave the same. They perform the same. Our clients, they behave the same. They perform the same all online. Things aren't that different. It's just that we can't see and touch each other. But we have to get to the point as we started out in this particular conversation, realizing that business will move forward. And right now, this is how it's moving forward in this virtual environment. You know, and we got to be able to be comfortable with that. Yeah. So final question for you uh, is, is there is inevitably if you're gonna, if you're a nonprofit that's got staff, let's say imagine you're the executive director or you're on the board of a, a of, of a nonprofit that's got either a large or small staff, uh, whatever that may be, complement size there. Understandably, they're probably going through a lot of worry and concerns themselves about their own health, the, the ability there. The, the, how do you go about doing this? I mean, how how if at all can you would you recommend? If you were the executive, with the leader of a leader of a team like this, to communicate and reach out to them, to to communicate, you know, reassurance, to give them, to coach them, maybe they're maybe they're even a little bit reluctant as well to to, to go out and make the make the pitch as well. What what do you do? Yeah, I, I would say um, this is the best time for nonprofits who have multiple offices like we do, multiple locations around the state. The best thing that has happened is all staff meetings virtually. This is the best time to get everybody on the line to hear one cohesive message. I would also say this is the best time, since things are a tad bit slower, uh, is to engage in professional development. We continue to do that here uh, where, where I am, and we offer professional development where we're teaching our people how to grow their programs, how to scale their programs through systems, how to sell their program, how to engage customers, how to recruit, how to market their programs. And I think this is an opportunity where CEOs – executive directors, senior vice president, C-suite people may not have had time to do these things because of being too busy driving here, driving there, meeting this person. There's Your schedule looks a little bit different, right? And we have to pivot. And so I would encourage any executive out there listening to this conversation to begin to utilize your downtime where you're not driving as much as you used to, to actually get on the horn with your staff, do what Mark and I are doing, and have these virtual conversations Talk about what you've learned. Again, go back, rewind this conversation and talk about, yeah. the, the, rewind to what we talked about, right? What have you learned? How have you pivoted? What have you gained from this? What's going to change forever? What's the exciting news? What's the hope based upon previous experiences? And start to get your staff engaged in a conversation. Mark, I'll close with this, right? Culture is set by the top. Point blank, period. The culture of your organization is set by your CEO or your leader, Right. And when the leader is insecure, unsure, uh, fretful about the future, the entire organization becomes fretful. Everyone starts looking for jobs. The organization starts to shudder 
and revenue starts to die away. But when you're a leader, whether it's a for-profit, non-profit, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your circle, your community, politics, when your leader is optimistic, they have a solid uh, grounding, they're, they're found, their thoughts are grounded upon facts and information, and they are able to tell a story about how we've pivoted, what we've learned, where we're doing good, where we're doing not so good. You can start to see how that changes the culture of your people, and your people will adapt because they trust you. It is about you, the leader. It is about what you're projecting. I'm not saying project a project a false sense of security, a false sense of hope when there when that may not be the case. But what I am suggesting is again, rewind this conversation. When it's time to pivot, fix the situation and pivot. Then assess it 30, 45, 60 days after the fact to determine what actually worked, yeah. what didn't work, what do we what are we going to learn from this? How are we going to move forward? That message, that culture will ring through and true throughout your organization, whether it's virtual or whether it's in person. Well, well, well said. Well, just to close out the conversation, then, I mean, if you had a message of hope, and this is what we're really hoping trying to get this day of, of how nonprofits during these difficult times can not only just survive, but thrive going forward, what would be your words of encouragement or your parting message then? Man, thank you so much for that. I would encourage every nonprofit, board member, executive, staff member, frontline person to run to the change. Embrace what's happening. Don't shy away from it. Don't run away from it because the situation is pretty clear and, and it's telling us that this is not going to change. Whether the, the vaccine takes another year or so is irrelevant. What is clear is that there is a new normal and people are already adjusting to it and you want to run to the change before the new normal freezes you out you don't want to be the nonprofit on the outside looking in saying hey we still got computers from 2007 and they don't have webcams or we can't update the software you want to you don't want to be the nonprofit that still can't figure out how to get on a virtual call with your staff you got to figure it out you got to make the investments as you are planning for tomorrow and the next quarter and the next year, you're putting together your programmatic budgets. Now is the time, and it's pretty clear, your budgets must include programmatic expenses on technology. This includes applications, systems, and hardware. This will help propel your team forward. It will bring you into the 21st century. It will make sure that your nonprofit is ahead of the curve going forward, and you will no longer be caught behind the eight ball if something like this happens again we have to be mobile we have to be uh, agile and we can't do that when our tech our technological systems are not up to date these tech systems not only impact programmatic offerings it impacts our ability to fundraise it impacts our ability to generate revenue from funders earn income from businesses we may operate or even in mark's case where he specializes in his sponsorships so we have to run towards the change and embrace every element of it so that we can be there when things start to get in place and funders can look at us and say, hey, I've noticed that your organization made that transition. How can we come alongside you guys and partner with you all? Well, well said. Folks, there you have it. Uh, Dr. William Clark, you want a little bit more of the information about him and the books or uh, how you can reach out to him? His information in his bio is on the site. Uh, above all, uh, thank you again, William, for joining us. Stay tuned for our next session on the Survive and Thrive Nonprofit Summit. Thanks again. Have you ever wondered how large nonprofits consistently generate millions of dollars? Have you ever wondered how to write the perfect grant or how to successfully manage a grant or even how to find money beyond grants? 
Hi, my name is Dr. William Clark, and I'm the creator and instructor of What You Should Know Before Applying for Grants. This masterclass has over 28 modules of training, and it comes with tools, tips, and tricks on how to generate significant money for your nonprofit. Some students have been fortunate enough to build six-figure programs, and others have been fortunate enough to triple their fundraising results because of this masterclass. Whatever your fundraising goals are, this masterclass can help you achieve them. To register your seat, simply go to mysixfigurefunding.com. That's mysixfigurefunding.com, and you'll be taken immediately into our student portal where you can access all of our trainings. You can take the trainings on demand, at your own pace, and at any time. You even can interact with other students and me all online from the comfort of your home or your office. If you want to secure your seat today for this masterclass, what you should know before applying for grants, simply go to mysixfigurefunding.com. Again, that's mysixfigurefunding.com, and I'm looking forward to learning with you and growing with you as you achieve your fundraising goals for your nonprofit.